0: program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh we have another amazingly full show Whew. looks like we barely escaped a uh, government shutdown by the uh, republican caucus but it looks like the government Uh, is going to stay open keep his doors open you know what i'm saying um kevin mccarthy man you better get your caucus together and they are trying earnestly to get him up out of there oh my god we're going to get back to our politics segment in coming weeks we're going to touch upon a little bit of it uh here and there with our guest tonight but wait till you hear who's coming through the school tonight We're going to be continuing our series with a couple of mental health workers, Daniel Lawrence and Patrice Scott. Daniel Lawrence is a social worker, and Patrice Scott is a licensed marriage and family therapist, both in Southern California. They're going to be joining us to talk about school-based mental health services, as well as college readiness for African-Americans and Black indigenous people of color. They're coming up this evening, Daniel Lawrence and Patrice Scott. And also, I'm very proud to welcome back our good brother, Mr. Gary Phillips. Yes, Gary Phillips is the writer uh, of some amazing television series that you have got to hear about. We had him here back in November of last year, and he has some upcoming things uh, later this month. Now that we're in the month of October, 2023, he's got some nice stuff on the horizon coming up this month, and he's here to talk to us about what it's been like during this writer's strike. He's a representative, of, representative that is, of the WGA, Writers Guild of America, and he's been on the front lines picketing, y'all, so I can't wait to catch up with the good brother, Mr. Gary Phillips. So that's going to be our lineup, so uh, you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer, because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWG, thetruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. Stay tuned for more. We're gonna kick off our show with a good brother, Mr. Gary Phillips. After this.
1: Hey everybody, this is Buddy Hearts, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host DJ Rome on KCWGthetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Oh,
0: Yes, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com. The name of this program is Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, I am really, really, really excited to have this good brother back with us. He's been here multiple times before, and I guess this started all the way back. I'm going to ask him, but I feel like I've known this brother for at least half a decade now. I got to check in with him. But this good brother is an award-winning author, screenwriter, editor. Uh, He's been a part of the uh, one of the most iconic television series that have uh, had an amazing run and uh, the last time he was here he was talking about it and I was telling him about all the online chatter with regard to that but he has this brand new project coming out in just a few weeks and I can't wait to hear all about it. So ladies and gentlemen please welcome back to Psychotic Bump School our good brother Mr. Gary Phillips. Mr. Phillips how you doing good brother?
2: I'm fine brother Rome, DJ Rome thanks for having me back. It's It's a great pleasure. Man, thank you. Well, you have been
0: one busy individual, good brother. I mean, if it ain't prospective projects you're working on, there are some definite verified gems that you have coming out. I think I met you when you first released your book, The Obama Inheritance.
2: Okay, yeah. So that's, uh, wow. Was that 2015, maybe? No. 17? 2018. Yeah, it was, well, it was... Yeah, 16, yeah, 17, some somewhere in there, right? Somewhere in there. Yeah. That's
0: almost that's almost half a decade,
2: brother. No, no, yeah, yeah. And that was also from Three Rooms Press. That was that was my first uh effort uh with uh with uh Peter and Kat, who who are the uh publishers, co-publishers of the press. And wow. uh, and it's been a you know, it's been a pretty good ride since then.
0: Yeah, man. 15 stories of conspiracy noir, the Obama inheritance. But since that time you've done one shot, Harry uh ice temple
2: and you got uh, the yeah, Matthew Hitchin and the ice temple of Harlem uh,
0: oh that's one book okay Matthew Henson and yeah. the ice temple of Harlem wow OK, so you've been doing the do, man. So uh, how would you describe? Uh, and oh, I definitely want to talk to you about Mr. Stoner, because I, I learned some things by researching that because I had. Oh, no for,
2: yeah, E.C. Stoner. Yeah. Yeah, uh, man. I can't wait uh, to hear about Beal that. Cecil Stoner. Yes. uh-huh, That's right. Yeah, That's man.
0: But how would you describe the last few months since you were here? Because you were finishing up a major, major television series the last time you were here. Can you tell us about that and how that ended up uh, concluding? Because there was well, yes. thing going on with that one.
2: Well, it's kind of interesting how things worked out. So, yeah, uh, there was the uh, the sixth and final season of Snowfall uh, uh, ran, or I should say ended uh, earlier this year. I guess it's around March, something like that, March or April, I guess it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I thought it was a pretty, uh, I mean, there's a lot of other things that I think the, uh, those of us in the writer's room uh, wanted to get to. But, you know, there's only mm-hmm. so much... Uh, there's only so much bandwidth you can get <laughs> you know, on on a tv show so for what for the parameters we had i thought we we did a heck of a job and i was really quite satisfied with where uh the show ended And i don't want to give it away if people haven't seen it but uh, i thought the character arcs we worked out and were able to bring uh to the to the small screen but uh, I think looming large in in uh, entertainment and, and imagination uh, were uh, were well done. And uh, and of course, as uh, that show concluded, we went into our uh, strike. Uh, I'm a member of wow. the Writers Guild. My union uh, struck oh. uh, uh, against the uh, the producers, the AMPTP, uh, along with uh, then soon SAG and AFTRA uh, joined us in the mm. strike. Uh, but our, the Guild Strike, the Writers Guild Strike, I think was about 147 days. Oh, so that's wow. about almost what was that almost five months. So yeah. I spent, uh, like a lot of my uh, uh, rank and file brothers and sisters, uh, we spent a lot of time on the picket line. We, we marched uh, and had rallies. Uh, we, hmm. you know, we marched around uh, or in front of various studios. I mostly did Amazon, which is not too far from me over here in Culver City. But I was at Paramount couple of different times i was uh, out uh at cbs which is also not too far from CBS television city right. uh i never made it out to the valley i i mean i i've gone out to the valley for other couple couple of other things but i didn't make it out to the valley to, to pick it at warner's and universal but nonetheless our our our, our members our numbers were out there as well mm-hmm. and uh i have to say you know there's a lot of things about the strike and we're not here to really talk about the strike but the, but i think there were some good things that have come from the strike, insofar as on the back end of what uh, we as writers get in terms of how the how the numbers play out uh, for uh, streaming services and and your royalties. Now the question of AI, well, that's a whole other discussion, and that's I'm sure that's a topic you'll you'll be or uh, getting into at some point with some some other folks who are much more versed in that. But all but suffice it to say, uh, when was pretty much a snowfall ended, and we had a couple other I had a couple other projects. In the air uh the strike was on and now it's only i guess since last week that the uh our uh, leadership has uh voted to accept the terms and conditions and we as the membership have yet to ratify uh, the terms and conditions of this master contract though i suspect uh, from what we've heard about what is in it we will be voting uh Uh, The majority will be voting uh, for it. Uh, Mm. So for the next three years, there will at least be some kind of um, uh, peace in the valley. But, you know, uh, anyway, AI is the specter that looms large over all of it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I do plan to get more into that because I don't know very many people that know much about it. But an industry impacted by it as this, I don't know why I didn't have that in mind when I invited you here. The WGA, the good brother, you're a member. so. You've been kind of talking about it. Um, you expect that this has all its uh, the, the the respective interests of the Writers Guild members. You're expecting to be able to vote on this and it'll go through. So what were they fighting for? The main thing is, I know AI is looming large, as you said, but what the reason for the strike mainly was streaming services was about getting reaping royalties from that.
2: That's correct. That, that the, the way that the, it is set up now, you know, the streaming services uh uh, netflix uh uh, amazon etc uh know the numbers but they don't share the numbers because uh well for different reasons and so so you would get a cut uh, as a writer you know you write something and then it gets sold to a streamer so you would get a cut on the licensing fee a percentage of that but you wouldn't get a you wouldn't see necessarily a uh commensurate bump if, for instance, you know, a number of subscribers are watching your program that you helped to shepherd onto the air, or, you know, you're part of, uh, and and so there was no way to tell who was watching, how many were watching, so now the agreement, as I understand it, will start to break that down, um, and so that's a that's a real positive move forward, oh, wow. but now in terms of AI, in terms of AI being able to write scripts and what have you, well, Unfortunately, I think that that genie is out the bottle and uh, wow. what, we, what we are going to see, I mean, there was some agreement about that AI won't be considered a writer. So that's kind of good. Just considered a tool, at least at this moment, considered a tool. But I'm certainly for the future. I'm sure we're going to see scripts and manuscripts that are both uh, a hybrid kind of design. You know what I'm saying? That, which yeah. will be both writer and machine uh, putting them together.
0: <laughs> oh man, cybernetics fights back. There's a movie that came out over the weekend called The Creator, and everybody yeah. talked about that as being uh, a predictor for future things to come. <laughs> exactly. And they're already making. Uh, I haven't seen. Did you have a chance to see it? I haven't seen. No, it. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I mean, they've been talking about it for. Ladies and gentlemen, it stars. Uh, John David Washington, who is the son of uh, the legendary Denzel Washington. Uh, he's playing a lead role. And apparently he's protecting uh, members of the A.I. community. <laughs> Sounds funny saying that. But yeah. yeah. And apparently it's the humans that are the apparent of uh, villains, you know, and, you know, that's all the spoiler that I got because I haven't seen it, haven't read very much about it, except that it does kind of tie into this whole thing that we're dealing with in real time over here. So. In what way did it impact you the most as a writer to be picketing that long? What did you learn about the, the profession that you're in? Uh, are you more secure now in the direction that it's headed? You said this contract will cover the next three years. But over and beyond that, how secure now do you feel compared to before that this industry will endure in spite of all the coming technology threatening but, to impact it?
2: Well, you know, it's a great question question wrong because i i i I actually don't i mean i just think things are going to change i I just believe that listen in the end ai it's it's such a powerful tool i mean they're already using uh you know already there are several writers including um stephen king and and some of the you know the big time uh big time uh book writers who are also you know a lot of their stuff has been made into into tv and film are, are suing uh various uh, i guess various you know companies meta whatever
3: uh mm-hmm. because they're,
2: they're taking you know these these machines have already as they i think the term is scraped you know their books and are using their books to train the AI to write and there was a article in the atlantic not that long ago and uh turns out you can there was a database you could access and i accessed the database and i put in my name and sure enough several of my books came up so yeah, the AI, you know, you, we can sue them. And I, I assume that, you know, the companies that own these machines will, you know, throw us some chunk change. But the fact remains that the computers are learning to write. They're aping our, our uh, style. Uh, wow. and, and that's not going to change. It's oh that's, that's here to stay. Oh, boy. <laughs> so I don't mean to be pessimistic. I'm happy. Listen, I'm happy with the, the, the question of residuals and, and royalties and... and uh, uh, you know, b- bumps in, in in that kind of uh, direction in terms of the money on the back end, but mm-hmm. you know we have to be realistic. You can't you you can't um, be Pollyannish and and think, well, you know, we've got this victory and these guardrails are going to stay up, uh, protecting us from AI or 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 keeping AI out out of our lives, and that's that's just not going to happen.
0: Man, I mean, you think about all these modern conveniences that we have in society, and man has created all these luxuries to supposedly make life easier for us and to be able to facilitate uh, resources and tools and services a little bit more easier. But yet now, in this day and age, I mean... You, you can't even be sure or certain that it's not gonna have unintended consequences now. And I, I just can't help wondering, Mr. Phillips, is there a diabolical, sinister mind behind all this? Remember they attributed to the black guy in Terminator? And I, I went back to Miles. What was his name, Miles Blackson, or something like that? I like, blame the brother for this. I wonder if there's one singular entity that's well, he,
2: but but he meant well, didn't he mean well? Are just things that got out of hand, you it know? got out of hand, yeah, it got out of hand, that's it all. got
0: out of hand. And so, even, well,
2: now, now I don't think they mean well. <laughs> wow, that's the difference, right? Wow, because just like in uh, well, or or is it or is what's what's the uh, the the film you were just mentioning, uh, uh Creator, right? It's called Creator, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and it's, you know, the AI is this nice little kid and right, a <laughs> hard-bitten mercenary played play, play by uh, Mr. Washington can't bring himself to, to kill the kid and, and right. even the kid's a machine. <laughs> that, that, <laughs> and yes. I guess the message of the film was we got to learn to live together, which maybe maybe that's the message, I you know, because at some point, wow. yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I'm assuming that, I mean, maybe not in my lifetime, but I'm assuming that, you know, uh, walking, talking, functioning, androids that, you know, that can uh, uh, mimic uh, uh, human uh, uh, movement and speech and what have you are going to come along. And well, then what are you going to do?
0: Oh, man. Okay. Another one I haven't seen. We're we going to get to your project in a second, but there was this horror movie that came out earlier this year called Megan about a doll. Yeah. <laughs> and I heard that doll, doll was evil and it taken on the life of itself. I don't know if that's sort of a a, a, a sign of the times as well uh, in, in the vein of uh, Magic. That was a movie that came out way back in the 70s. And I think when Jimmy Carter was still president, by the way, over the weekend, y'all, y'all know Jimmy Carter turned 99. He's still here. Gary. I that's wonderful. Gary he's still here. He went in. And back the
2: right.
0: And he's trolling us now. I mean, I'm not mad. I'm not complaining, but he's tr- he and Rosalind Carter are trolling us. They just came out in public again <laughs> for his <laughs> birthday. And everybody had but, written the man off. They said he was terrible for the country. We didn't even have a strong foreign policy under Jimmy Carter. But not one shot was fired while that man was in. It. No, no, no. He, he,
2: he. he listen, history's gonna, going History will, uh, as they, as uh, Fidel Castro once said, history will absolve me. History's gonna absolve uh, yes. Jimmy Carter. But you know what? I, I want to circle back real quick. To sure. rom- I mean, we, like you said, we're going to get back to it. But, yeah. but uh, in terms of the machine, listen the idea that the machines would take over is an old idea. It, listen, man, when they first started, uh, you know, writing science fiction stories, you know, yes. I guess in the late 20s, you know, certainly, and certainly in the 30s when the pulp magazines were around and uh, mm. I guess amazing stories, and which astonishing stories, astounding, astound- astounding stories, which I think lasted decades. Anyway, there was always stories about, you know, the AI or the robots taking over. So this is not a new thing. It's just what's new is, it turns out it's it's now is closer than we think. Oh boy, <laughs> oh boy.
0: Is anybody, I mean, cause there's some people, cause you said there's more of a a, a steady trend of books becoming uh, big screen projects now or even to the smaller uh, streaming services. I mean, mm-hmm. it's more common for books to make it to the big screen. So is anybody not worried about this? Are the Stephen Kings, are the George Lucases, are the, the, the big time guys? I wonder what they're saying about all this.
2: Well, like I'm i saying, I'm, uh, you know, King and 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 some of his uh, 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 well-heeled cohorts are suing these uh, these companies for stealing their material, stealing their work. And I absolutely agree with that. But I think the the resolution will be they'll you know they'll throw us some chump change, or I guess with Stephen King's case, they'll throw him some millions. But it ain't like it ain't like you're going to go in and erase this information, this data. From the machines, the machines already have it. Wow, wow,
0: that's scary, isn't? The, I didn't, I didn't. I should have been prepared to talk about this, but the nanny is the WGA representative, right? Um, yeah. yeah, Like the nanny on Tell. What's her name?
2: Uh, oh, you mean uh, Fran Dressler?
0: Fran Dressler, yeah. So she's out front, kind of Oh, she's start. on it.
2: She's great. Oh, she's terrific. She she broke it down, man. She's got the class struggle uh, uh, understood and 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 put it to the members and put it to the public. Oh no, absolutely. But that's the point. I, well, yeah. he, here's so not to be totally pessimistic to our audience today. <laughs> uh, the lesson is we, the creators, have to harness this uh this machinery this ai for our damn selves yeah, can't, you can't just sit back and say oh let uh w- what's the that fool that uh uh runs tw- a mosque uh 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 tesla <laughs> <Elon>. <laughs> uh uh or uh 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 the guy that runs uh you know uh, yeah, made uh, a uh, uh, Facebook and yeah. stuff. So. Uh, uh, Zuckerberg, he's Zuckerberg. Zuckerberg. You can't let every, you can't let them all control it. We have to t- take our cut of it too, and we can. That's that's really the lesson. Mm. Yeah, that's that's a lesson I take away.
0: You know, it makes me think because even in my profession of doing psychological services in the schools, a lot a lot of things now are a lot more animated, computerized. I could type into the the. the chat GPT and get some help with my psych reports. I haven't done it yet, but I'm a bit of an old school head. I'm a creature of habit and it's hard. Maybe you could relate to this. I mean, I was born in the late sixties, so it's kind of hard for me to embrace change at this point in my life, man. It's like, I'm kind of setting my ways and I know there's some things that'll help make life easier, but there's something about I'm a vinyl records guy still, you know what I'm I, I like old school stuff. You said we're going to have to learn how to live together. It's like, I remember when that song came out, when Charday did it, but I remember when Timmy Thomas did it back in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm a creature of habit, man. What are we going to do, bro? Like you said, we're going to have to find a way to tame this beast, right? Because that genie ain't going back in the bottle, like you no. said. Uh,
2: no, man, I'm going to be like, uh, well, I, I can't remember the, the movie, but it was with Frank Langella, and it was set near future. So, you know, you know, the cars all look the same, and there was nothing particularly, you know, there weren't, you know, there weren't rocket ships. But he was—he—he uh, he had been a thief, and he—he he was now suffering from dementia, or was mm. on, dementia was oncoming, and so they had a helper robot. And anyway, he, it was it was kind of interesting because then he kind of has to trick the robot into help because the robot has certain you know, uh, guardrails, right? And one of them is you know can't hurt hurt a human, but it also can't it's not supposed to do anything illegal. But he's he's got he's got to trick the robot into doing something illegal to do this one last score of his. And I can't wow. remember the name of movies. Sounds nice like, movie. it sounds but like I, a robot. No, 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 it's not iRobot, which the book was much better than what they finally filmed, which people should read the book by Asimov. Anyway, uh, my point being, um, I think that movie, and maybe by the end of this, one of us can look it up. But that point, that movie, a little movie with Franklin Gellin and and his little helper robot. I thought, well, that's I think that's the great lesson to take away.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Wow, a sentimental (laughs) robot who's committed to doing right, despite all the temptation around him. (laughs) <laughs>
2: there you go.
0: That's it. What, what, Near Future? What's it called? Uh, I'm going to have to look. You got me curious now. Yeah,
2: yeah. Why well, we...
0: Robot and Frank?
2: Yeah, maybe that's it. Is that it?
0: 2012 American science fiction comedy drama directed by film stars Frank Langella.
2: That's it. Robot and Frank. That's it. There you go.
0: Wow, I never heard of it.
2: So... Oh, yeah, man. It's a great little movie. So, oh, yeah. I, I say that, so, so you take that as a lesson... And then, you know, the other lesson, of course, and I've, I've written about this in a couple of pieces, there was an old school uh, comic book character called Magnus Robot Fighter.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and, and the great thing about Magnus was, which is kind of trippy, he's a, you know, human being, he's an orphan, but he's raised by a robot. Now, the robot is not called AI, the robot is called 1A. And for whatever different reasons, this robot is training this human to fight evil robots and that's 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 the whole premise and and it's a great it's a it's talk about 60s it was mm-hmm. it was first uh written and drawn by uh russ russ manning is the guy who created the character mm-hmm. and he's worked gold key comics and gold key comics was like you know you know it's marvel dc and then gold key was like wait you know way down to number two and you could barely find a gold key comic anywhere you know in those days mm-hmm. on the newsstand but i got a few of them then and, and i've and i've since now re- reread a lot, a lot of them uh the collected versions and so you know there was always this great scenes of magnus uh because even though he was a human being he'd been trained you know as i said to fight the evil robots and so he was always karate chopping these robots and and having these great duels with them so so somewhere between Magnus Robot Fighter and probably Robot and Frank lies our uh, lies our accommodation with, uh, with the coming new world.
0: Oh boy, yeah, we, we better find a way to make peace with it, man. It feels like it's about to run us over. Yes, sir.
4: The Hollywood writers' strike is officially over. Film and TV writers can return to work today after union leaders approved a deal that includes major gains on issues that they've been fighting for. Dania Backus is in Culver
0: City, California with the latest.
4: Good morning. Not just because the strike is over, but because it appears on all major issues writers were fighting for, pay, working conditions, use of artificial intelligence, and more, they made major gains. What do we want? A fair contract. When do we want it? Now. For nearly five months, they walked picket lines in solidarity. Whose oh, stories? Our stories some 11,000 members of the Writers Guild of America on strike as they pushed for greater pay and protections in a new three-year contract.
3: We're out here standing with our union and for all unions.
4: It appears to have paid off. Amber Ojeda, and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host DJ Ron on KCWGTheTruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. Do you fight for love when the world has broken you? And all the times are rough when the doubt keeps looking up. Do you fight for love when the world has broken you? And all the times are rough. When you're down keep looking up How do you fight for love? When the world has broken you I know the times are rough When you're down keep looking up How do you fight for love? When the world has broken you I know the times are rough When you don't keep looking up Rough when you don't keep looking up, how do you fight for love when the world is broken you. Yeah. I know the times are rough. when you don't keep looking up. How do you fight for love? When the world is broken you, yeah. say. I know the times are rough. When you don't keep looking up. Up. I do I do fight, fight love,
0: love. Oh, this is KCWG, the Truth.coms program is called Psychiatry Bum School. My name is EJ Rome. we just chopping it up with the good brother, Mr. Uh, Gary Phillips. Uh, we just breaking down to his final compound. Oh, my God. I hope it ain't in our final days, good brother. That's <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> <laughs> oh right.
2: God.
0: Brother Rome, this, this might be the last broadcast, baby. For the last one. <laughs> Might be DJ Robot Rome doing ah, that's action. right. Oh my God, where are we going? <laughs> the latest project is called the Unvarnished Gary Phillips Amando Pope Collection. Good brother, yes, oh sir. you've always had sort of a a vision that you depict in your your books, uh, all the way from the Obama inheritance, and I'm sure prior to that because that's when I found you with the Obama inheritance days. But since that time, man, you've put together a body of work that's really, really. Uh, really driving this theme and uh, this writing style home, and uh, I learned some things. You know, I I, I hadn't heard of uh, this artist that you've uh, are bringing to the forefront for us. You know, yeah. the past and it's important that we talk about it. Can you talk to us a little bit about the unvarnished Gary Phillips? What is Amando Pope Collection all about, good brother, Mister Gary Phillips?
2: Yes, sir. Uh, well, as the as the title uh, suggests. Uh, and as you have talked about uh, a little earlier, I'm you know I'm mostly known as a crime fiction writer, but in the context of that, you know, as a kid coming up, I was very influenced by uh, the original Twilight Zone, you know, Rod Serling's uh, Twilight Zone, mm. uh, the Outer Limits, even, and and even I guess even uh, Alfred Hitchcock presents, although Alfred Hitchcock never really did, he never really did sci-fi stories, but certainly Outer Limits and certainly uh, uh, outer uh, uh, Twilight Zone did and uh and and so off and on and then and also because now I've, you know i've written comics and what have you so sort of sci-fi elements pulp elements uh not fantasy so much I, i'm not i i read some fantasy I'm, not, I'm just not big on on fantasy stuff per se mm-hmm. uh uh but anyway um uh, so those kinds of things and comic book stuff uh comic book uh, iterations have found their way into my work particularly my short stories now and then and so three rooms press which also ha- had in fact had brought out the uh, the obama inheritance uh agreed to uh collect some of my some of these kind of you know more strange and odder uh sci-fi sci-fi ish stories of mine uh for instance there's a story in there crag's last escape and that's a very sci-fi story where this A woman is an undercover agent on an alien ship and she's she's there to receive, you know, to uh, steal some uh, uh, valuable tech and gets uh, and does that. But then gets chased down to this planet and things happen uh, once she's on this uh, uh, uninhabited planet or seemingly uninhabited planet. Hmm. There's another one about uh, I think it's called Comstocks. Uh, We changed the title a couple of times but Comstocks Advantage where he's a he's a hitman, but his advantage is is that he can astral project so he can he can scout out his targets without you know with without being seen or heard right. and and but as we were talking and particularly as you mentioned uh uh brother stoner earlier yes. um those are all uh the the 16 stories in the book the other 16 stories in the book are uh reprints from uh, from other uh anthologies or or appeared elsewhere, including I might uh, mention the the uh, so strikes the Black Pimpernel, which was my story in the Obama inheritance. And now it's been reprinted here in uh, in this collection, but the original story. So the 17th story to round out the collection uh, is about uh, I resurrect an old school uh, comic book character from what was called the golden age of comics. And this was in uh, 1940 and there were several there's a great book uh, about the black pioneers of comics in those days uh it's called invisible men by uh, craig uh, yo y-o-e uh and one of the people he talks about and i but i knew about this guy before then mm-hmm. before reading, uh before he put him in his book uh was a man named ec stoner uh, Emil cecil stoner uh mm-hmm. and who was um who was an art, he'd eventually become a fine artist, but in those days, he made his living uh, uh, doing comics and doing, but also doing commercial illustration for uh, advertising. Mm -hmm. And he is, several sources credit, he was certainly the artist on this character and several sources uh, credit him as the creator of this character. And I do a little introduction in the the Unvarnished collection where I talk about this, but essentially there was a character called Phantasmo, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> and and this character uh was white and was a uh like a lot of those characters in those days had studied you know mystics and such uh in tibet in the east uh, and he comes back to America and then he's able to he is able to astral project and project out of his body and he's, he becomes fantastical so there's some elements of this of uh of the specter which had already been a character at DC Comics uh and some other kind of uh and dr fate and i think a few other characters like that but it certainly is a lot of elements of the specter in this character mm-hmm. um and is able to then uh, fight evil but he has but he has incredible powers he can he can grow to giant size he can he can fly and do all these other things and anyway but as i said i, I had an interest in it because it was created by this black artist and so the character has fallen into the public domain and so then uh i talked with, with Peter uh as i said one of the co-publishers of the press and and so now i've revived the character and i've made the character uh, african-american but i explain in the context of the story uh because he can somewhat he can sh- shape shift why it is that at certain certain times he might he might take on the guise of a white man particularly in, in those days in the 40s because it was easier to move about in certain places obviously than being black and being stopped the story, though, that I'm telling you takes place not in the 40s, but more in a modern setting. But we also get into, you know, how is it that this guy has been alive that long? But anyway, all that to say is I had a lot of fun, and I, I, I want and I want to also give credit to not not only uh, Adam Shaw did the the three illustrations, the black and white illustrations that accompany the story, but he also did that great cover uh, on uh, the unvarnished uh, book where. Uh, there's a there's a there's a there's a man behind the wheel of an old fashioned Willis uh, car being chased by this uh, by this uh, vampire looking creature above the car. And that's actually uh, more or less a scene from uh, demon of the track, which is another uh, which has to do with Aztec vampires. In fact, uh, and that's another story in the book.
0: Oh, sweet, sweet. Got a few questions about that, man. Great synopsis right there. You made a distinction a few minutes ago between what you do and fantasy, and you said that's not really something that you're into. And I'm thinking you have to have a bit of imagination in order to kind of begin to understand the work of Gary Phillips. How do you distinguish what you do from fantasy? I thought they were interchangeable, no?
2: I, I don't see them as interchangeable. I, I Now, having said that, for instance, I was a big fan of the uh, Game of Thrones series mm-hmm. uh, and that certainly had fantasy elements. I guess, uh, I guess, I guess anytime a dragon shows up, that's, <laughs> I guess that's a fantasy, right? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, but you had, you know, the day walkers, I guess, where the the zombie kind of mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff. So I guess if, if that's considered fantasy, yes, then to a certain extent, you're right. That certainly does. Cause I just mentioned, I have an Aztec vampire running around in one of the stories, Mm -hmm. And so I suppose to that extent, that's that is somewhat of of a a fantasy element. Uh, But I guess what I'm really saying, though, is I don't go that deep into that realm. I'm not world building fantasy worlds, Mm -hmm. Um, these Mm -hmm. elements. But and also the sci fi stuff and even the superhero stuff tends to show up in our world, Uh, although Craig's Last Escape is set somewhat in the future. But a lot of these stories are still are set now. And, and these elements sort of show up. So, yes, to the extent that these are fantastical kinds of things. And, and I suppose, you know, zombies deal more with mystical things. And certainly phantasmal deals with kind of in the mystical realm. So to, to that extent, yes, I guess that I do embrace that degree of fantasy or I have the, or, or some branch of that. It's just okay. that I'm not doing elves and I'm not doing, uh, you know, wizards uh, and I'm not doing, you know, flying uh, brooms. Uh, which is all great. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, uh, but, uh, and, and I'm all for it. Uh, it's just that I'm not doing that kind of That's stuff. That's not
0: what you do. Yeah cause I, I was, yeah. Cause I was, as I was listening to you, I was thinking about the actress, uh, Michelle Yeoh and uh-huh. Dragon. So I'm like, I'm thinking Crouching Dragon, wait, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And she, she was talking about when she was in that film, how people were like, okay, nobody can really fly across rooftops and right all this stuff, but she said, and when she was a little girl coming up, and uh, I don't know if she was, where is she from, Japan, China? I can't recall, but she said, those were our real stories that we grew yeah. up with. So it yeah. wasn't unusual for us to depict this in a film because that was our childhood right, right. there. Right, that's right. And you know, and I didn't understand the uh, everything at all at once and this place and this and that. I mean, I'm happy that they won, but the, the dragon uh, reference that you made f- was, was very interesting, but Phantasmo, good brother. I what also came to mind was this uh, this thing where there's a sequel coming out, I think, by the end of the year, uh, Aquaman 2. And we knew it was coming because at the end of the last one, uh, the character that played Black Manta vowed revenge. And so you, are, you automatically know he's going to uh, enact that rematch clause like Errol Spence did against Terrence Crawford. I don't know why, but they're going to fight. again.
2: That's right. <laughs> But that's right. Even guess- though, even though, even though, even though, even though Crawford did a, a boxing clinic. Oh my God! <laughs> there was another one over the weekend
0: with uh, Canelo gave to Charlo. Yeah, you know,
2: that's what I heard. I, did, I didn't see the fight last night, but yes, I heard my son was telling me. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, exactly. it, was, it was it was a big stretch for Charlo. I mean, yeah. Power yeah. to the brother. That's but, right. That's right. So yeah, sometimes you just gotta reach big, baby. You know, you reach big. You know, yeah. biggest payday of his life against one of the best of all time. You exactly. know, exactly. He, he shot his shot. He shot a shot. But exactly. the is I don't recall Black Manta ever having a backstory. And I think that's what the surprise was when Aquaman came out is that, oh, Black Manta was black. Well, in the cartoons, he certainly wasn't. From what I can recollect, when I was watching Super Friends on Saturday morning, Black Manta no. wasn't black. But no. enough, he was. So when you talk about Fantasmo, uh <laughs> any correlation between giving him more life and uh, does he have more of a backstory in your iteration of it?
2: Yes, it, well, I, let me say something though, uh, uh, Rome, It is yes. There's a but there's a huge gap between Black Manta on, on Super Friends and even Black Manta early on in the comics because it was, in fact, though in the either the late '70s or early '80s. In fact, as they as the term is now, retcon, Black Manta was retcon, and he did become black in the comics. So that's oh, actually really? that has actually been there now for some time. Oh, so they're, they're actually carrying that forward into into the film world. Wow. Uh, but uh, so having said that, yeah. yes, I, I'm also taking the uh, retconning uh, license. I'm also <laughs> waving the retconning uh, wizard uh, <laughs> stick. And, <laughs> nice. uh, and as I said, I I, 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 w- I give a wink and a nod mm. to the old version of Phantasma, which is to say uh, there's a, a and I don't, I don't want to give too much away, but there is a explanation we arrive at as to how is it that Phantasmo uh could be both black and white or Asian for that matter or uh-huh. male or female if he so desired because of his his ability so yes so there is so so again that is a fantastical element and so but that that is there in the story as a way to both uh uh reconcile I guess that's the better word reconcile mm-hmm. this past version of Phantasmal and the version of Phantasmal I'm giving you
0: hey well Everything, everywhere, all at once at the same time. And so, okay, he's bringing those elements in. So, a uh, couple more questions with regard to Mr. Stoner. I covered a comic a uh, few months ago who had passed away, Leo Sullivan. Yeah. And if you've never heard of him, I wouldn't be surprised because even I hadn't heard of him. Let me just, uh, ladies and gentlemen, bear with me. I'm showing this to Mr. Gary Phillips just so he can get a visual of who I'm talking about. Uh, Come on now, computer, do your thing. Okay, (laughs) see this cat right here? Yeah. Okay, that's Leo Sullivan. Okay. He passed away earlier this year and you recognize that right there, right? Yes. He created the Soul Train animation.
2: Right on.
0: This brother, Leo Sullivan. So I think about him as I hear and learn from you about Mr. Stoner. Mm-hmm. has also been associated uh, with a character that's recently had his big screen debut as well, the Blue Beetle. He
2: actually did a version of Blue Beetle. Yeah, he uh, he, he drew Blue Beetle in the comics. Yes.
0: Yeah, and that's, so, the, but that's the,
2: and apparently, I and I, I, I'm gonna I, you remind me. I was gonna I, I got to my grandson and I got to catch up on the Blue Beetle. Uh, right. This version of Blue Beetle and which apparently does acknowledge or gives again a wink and a nod to The old version of Blue Beetle. Because Blue Beetle is another one of those characters, been around a long time. Yes. Yeah. He's yeah. gone through various various incarnations. But the Jaime Reyes version is also a version that is now from the comics.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So EC Stoner and a wink in an eye, you mentioned that quite a bit. Was the the difficulty, the degree of difficulty to be an artist during that time period. Um Why is that why you selected him to to sort of resurrect this character of Phantasma as a as a tribute to uh, his sacrifice, if you will, or his contribution to the art form? Uh, How many others during his time were able to see their work make it even make it to the light of day to influence artists such as you in modern times?
2: Yeah, well, I mean, you know, there was Matt Baker who came along a little later and he actually dies young of a heart ailment, I believe. And Matt Baker is sort of credited as, as being one of the, he, and he, he is one of the first uh, black artists, in fact, did did what was considered a, a, the, a version of the graphic novel uh, uh, back then in the 50s. Uh, so so there were, there were several, uh, uh, Jay Jackson uh, is also another artist who uh, mostly did comic strips. Uh, and in fact, his collection of his uh, Bungleton Green and the Mystic Commandos, uh came out it was a series of strips he did for black newspapers uh mm. has come out recently i guess last year was collected so so there have been these pioneers these people who have blazed these trails uh along the way uh though yes don't we're not always given the spotlight so mm. but it's also for me a confluence of 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 uh matters that have you know sort of the crossroads, which is to say, as I said, phantasmals in the public domain, and so I could use that character, I could acknowledge his uh, his uh, origin, uh, but as well as then uh, riff on it and 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 play with it and sort of give it uh, the twists and turns that uh, that I wanted to give it. Um, but yes, so but certainly, as I said, though, I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, uh, Craig uh, Invisible Man, uh, uh, which is about. Uh, the black pioneers, and as well as then you know, and let's not forget, um, uh, you know, the man who uh, uh, who wrote and drew uh, Crazy Cat, who uh, was uh, a man of color, but the family they were listed as Creole in Louisiana, and then they became white when they moved to Los Angeles.
0: <laughs> come on now, come on now. Well, people had to do what they had to do back then. There's a lot of appreciation in the literary community for what you're doing, man. Uh, Joe Eyed, uh, he says, Gary's collection of stories range from boxers and human sacrifice. We were just talking about boxers, right? Yes. And speed racing. I don't know. Is he actually talking about, do you have something about boxing in one of your stories? Is he talking about actual boxers?
2: Yeah, there's a, there's a story in the book. Uh, I have a. Character named uh, Decimator Smith. His real name is Achilles Smith. And the 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 story starts. He's a he's a middleweight. He's boxing at the Olympic Auditorium. Uh, and after the winter, oh yeah.
0: man, I, I saw my first and only real-time professional fight there. Years, is that right? That's years, great.
2: Many years ago, I was a little kid, man. Right on, man. That's great. Wow. uh So he wins the fight, but then he finds out his sister's been murdered, and that sets in motion. The story and that character he's i mean he's only i only use one of his stories in the book but now he's appeared in three other uh, excuse me two other short stories so eventually i'm going to get around to writing probably a novella about that character so yeah so decimator smith is a is a boxer turned kind of public uh superhero uh, a kind of uh not really luke cage but some, there's some but i freely admit to you that i i i, I call on some elements of luke cage uh get infused uh with this character. But this character is specifically set in uh 1930s uh segregated Los Angeles.
0: Oh wow. Man, what was that? Uh Don Shargan, he was the matchmaker of the Olympic Auditorium. Ladies and gentlemen, that was the centerpiece of I mean you had to be a boxing fan to appreciate. They also did wrestling back then we that's got- right, baby. Wrestling and <laughs> derby. <laughs> Roland. derby. Rolling, oh my God, he's <laughs> in the Derby. Well <laughs> <laughs> what you know about Skinny mini Gwen Miller or, 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 or Sam the Man Washington or Rafi Valadares. Come on. <laughs> Olympic Auditorium? What the Thunderbirds?
2: Well, brother, we go, brother, you're losing all your audience. They're, they don't know nothing about none of that. They don't know about oh, none man. of that.
0: Man, what did you just do, Mr. Phillips? I used to think it was real too. Did you ever think it was
2: real? Oh like, heck
0: yeah, of course. Of man. course.
2: Oh man, I love the there was oh. a wrestler, uh Mio Mascaras, right? Man of a thousand masks. Yes. He was athletic cat. Oh man, I, I love every time he came on, man. Oh, it was the best. It was oh man, the best. I had to wait to stay up. And and then yeah. the yeah. generations yeah. had and, and, by, by the way, it was George Harriman. That's the that's the guy I was thinking of. The, the, the guy who wrote and drew Crazy Cat, uh. George Harriman, uh was part black, but he would always uh um keep his hair short. And, and invariably, he would take a picture with a hat on. <laughs> oh wow! <That's laughs> but there's good. a there's a yeah there's a great book uh, about him. It's a big big thick uh, biography about about uh, him him and his life.
0: Oh sweet sweet. Also, I have to give a shout out to uh, Bruce Willis. Apparently, he's really really going through a tough time. He played a boxer turned sort of you know fugitive on the run in the movie Pulp Fiction. Yes, he did. Life, uh, yes, he did. Bruce willis is going through it man um, yes he is yes he's he is and he, he, he and
2: i are the same age man so yeah i, I really uh oh. i am i keenly i am keenly aware there was yeah. a there was a those a actually very riveting article about you know his his i mean really it's dementia but they tr- they tried to play it off as something else and then it was just a terrible thing uh uh, uh dj Rome, when he's the onset of this i guess we just been now you know several years ago Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you would look up and, and you would see him in like these, you know, you know, grade B, grade C movies, you know, shot, you know, overseas and this and that. And he don't he only show up for like you know four or five scenes in the, in this movie, right? And mm-hmm. and, he, and he and I remember I was watching one of them once, and this is before I knew of the onset of his disease, and so I just thought, well. I guess he's just taking this for the check and he don't care anymore you know what i mean because it just looked, like yeah. sleep, just looked like he was he just like he was sleepwalk, sleepwalking through this through this scene but of course it turns out and there was a great piece in the in the la times about this he you know he had all these handlers around him and so they he had an earpiece in and they're like feeding him his lines because you know he can't remember his lines
0: oh, and,
2: and he can't even remember why is he there you know it was just Boy. terrible It was just like they, they they just rent they used him like a rented mule they mm-hmm. whoever they are and made money off them but it's not like money i assume hopefully it's some money that'll help you know keep him safe and and contented what what years he's got left or what time he has left but man it was just terrible
0: that's i mean but good brother you're a young man bruce willis and you are the same age yeah yeah we born at, we're both born in 55 yeah
2: Man, as you guys are young cats, man. I mean Man, oh, man. Don't no, listen, brother. We, we listen, we can spend a whole nother time. Grandpa can spend a whole other time talking about all those ailments and good buddy of mine who he and I played football together in school. He just had triple bypass. Oh, man, come on, man. It's it's oh, you know, it catches up, brother. Yeah, that's the that's why wait, but this is wait, this is great. Well, roll, this, this is perfect because this gets it right back to <laughs> Frank, where is it? Ro- the robot Frank. Robot Frank, robot, robot and Frank. Frank, baby. Let's gets us right back to that. Yeah. I'll wait for my helper robot.
0: <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We don't need robots to help us go up and down these stairs, man. That's right, brother. That's right, right. Good Lord. When uh, I fall, I can't get up. <laughs> <laughs> Can't get up? Oh, man. It also says uh, evil astral projectionist. This is still Joe Eyed. Joe Ede, okay. Sorry yeah, about yeah. that. Evil astral projectionist strains of Dean Martin and Blonde Ghosts, Buck Rogers, Space Battles, and a Trumpian cabal enforcing herd immunity? What are you talking about, man? What is he talking about? That's Buck it. Rogers, Space Battles, and a Trumpian cabal enforcing herd immunity? What's he talking about? Talking about them stories in this book. That's what he's talking about. I'm telling yeah, you, gotta, get you, out, gotta go out and buy it. Gotta go out and read them. Man, I mean, I before, Wait, before AI says well, you can. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, man, it sounds like it, it really sounds like the end of times, man, cuz if you're talking about all this stuff and you know, us coming out of COVID and this whole No, 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 I mean,
2: uh, but the stories are, I mean, there's a couple of downers. There's a, I, I, I will admit, yes, there's a couple of <laughs> fatalistic stories. But but on the whole, no, no, man, I listen, human's triumph. You, you know, humans make it through. Hey, man. go humans. Go humans. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. old humans.
0: Yeah. Man, well, this is going to be a great project. Uh, the unvarnished Gary Phillips Amando Pope collection, and this is going to be a, a, a conglomeration of all of your work in recent years, good brother. And I don't know wh- how close how close does this come to the vision of your of the Gary Phillips magnum opus? Is, is this the <laughs> best collection of work
2: you've ever assembled? Is is this the one, Gary Phillips? I don't know. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, at this moment, this is this is the one Gary Phillips you should the one uh, Gary Phillips collection you should get. But uh, I hope to keep. Listen, I just hope to keep uh, my, num- my number. My uh, number. Well, I'll admit, I'll admit this. I went to see my my doc. But and by the way, it, he's a nice young man. So he's definitely gonna you know outlive me, which is great, right? You want a young. Let me just say something to the old folks. You want a young doctor. You want a young doctor when you get get up here in age you want you don't want to doctor your age because that, that ain't gonna help you brother you mm. need a doctor that's young and and he's gonna run all these tests and do all these things and my numbers are looking better than they were looking before so brother i tend to keep writing until i can't write no more
0: yeah man yeah yeah yeah. yeah. because there's something I we had a, a writer on here and we're gonna let you go in a second we had a writer on here named uh, a scott galloway yeah. yeah. Uh, he writes a lot of liner notes for a lot of the music that you and I love I mean yeah. all artists you know and you know you and I come from the the era of album jackets and reading who plays exactly the keyboard, who played the keyboards who sing right. and so he covers all those artists that are kind of in the background but he always said that uh one of the things that he shared with this audience is that he always hoped that every artist had a, a an opportunity to do a project their way. And right. executed according to their vision at least once, because so much of what we do in the in in the pursuit of you know maintaining the integrity of our artistry, as you've done, I mean, it's I mean it gets tested so often, you know. Sure. This strike is just you know one example of it, but you're always faced with the prospect of doomsday to a certain extent. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Especially if you're not established. I mean, you talk about having a young doctor, but when you're young in this business, Mr. Phillips, I mean, it's hard to get on, isn't it? I yeah. mean, yeah. You, you have to have some good mentorship. You have to have some good connections. You have, you have to get, have a good attitude and be, be able to work with people. That's right. There's so many things that are out there that can potentially derail you. And the ones that actually are able to navigate through all those storms uh, live to tell about it and live That's to right, put brother. together projects and collections of work That's such as this. So the English Gary Phillips, good brother. Oh, my Thank God. Thank
2: you, Roma, I couldn't have said better, th- th- your point exactly, that you've got to be the one that lives to tell the tale, of tale. Because you are the only one that knows the tale. Mm. So that's the point. And what is it that the, the victors get the right history, all that? So, that's the point. That's yes. right. That's why you got to come on the other end, because you're the one that's got to tell your story.
0: Man. And Hey, you know what? And that's why your grandson can't wait to hang out with you today, man. Because <laughs> he knows grandpa's story is one worth telling.
2: <laughs> no, he just,
0: that's boring to him, eh? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Oh man, we will gonna get a dog. couple
0: of chili dogs. That's what we're gonna do. Well, chili dogs, but after that or before that, he's gonna be able to ride on Grandpa's shoulders. Well, unless he's is he older than ten? Uh, not older than ten, but he, he's getting up there. Yeah, he's up gonna here. be nine in December. No, no, oh, okay. Well, he, yeah, he's he's to be there. yeah, he ain't gonna be riding on Grandpa's shoulders. Yeah. It might be, might be a piggyback ride. That's right. Well, well, that's all right.
2: Like I said, man. Listen, I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna be around long enough to have my, the helper robot. And my grandson, uh, drive me around, uh, to get my cigars. That's all I need, brother. That's yeah, all.
0: That's what's up. That's what's oh, up. Yeah. Well, I mean, it all comes back to us and it really is about family at the end of the yeah. day. Unvarnished Gary Phillips, a mondo Pulp Collection coming out real soon. Good brother. It's always a joy to have you here, man. What's the best way for people to keep in touch with you, follow your work. And so that they can keep up with the release date of the Unvarnished Gary Phillips, Mr. Gary Phillips, how do we well, keep they, in touch with you? They can
2: definitely check out the Three Rooms Press, uh, website and you know, it's, it's, uh, Prominently, uh, the unvarnished is prominently displayed there, and it drops on uh, the tenth, and it'll be in bookstores everywhere. And I'm going to be doing, you know, a few more podcasts. I'm going to do some in-person stuff, uh, and so that's that's going to be listed there as well as uh, then on my website. Excuse me, my website, which is uh, gdphillips.com. Uh, we'll put some stuff up there as well.
0: Absolutely. Hey, you know how I can tell you an OG?
2: Huh? You still got that AOL? That's right, brother. That's right, brother. They're going to bury me with that AOL. I'm going to be the last fool. I'm going to be the last fool that's got AOL, brother. Mm-hmm. Hey,
0: we're creators of habit. Not creatures, but we're creators of habit. You that's, know what it. I'm you that's it. There you go. It right. works. Thanks, good brother. This is KCWG, the truth.com's programs called Psychotic Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. The good brother's name is Gary Phillips. Check out his work, y'all. The Unvarnished Gary Phillips Armando Pulp Collection coming soon near you. Stay tuned for more. We'll be right back after this.
4: It's a shot. to DJ Rome on Psychotic Bum School, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul.
0: This program is called Psychiatry Bump School. My name is DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, we are continuing our discussions with our mental health specialists this week. And we've had some very, very fascinating topics going on, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, this one coming up right here is also near and dear to my heart. They all are, y'all. I ain't gonna front. They all are. But this one in particular is of particular interest to me. Uh, the good sister is a licensed marriage and family therapist in Southern California, and she's having an interest in the topic of school-based mental health services for BIPOC adolescents. Do y'all know what BIPOC stands for? Of course you do, but I'm gonna let her tell you. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good sister, Patrice Scott. Patrice, how you doing?
1: Pretty good. How are you doing?
0: I am okay. I was going to say I'm cool in the gang. I've said cool in the gang so many times know, now, but I, I know. That. Yeah, I know. Okay, <laughs> I'm cool in the gang, but I don't want to trigger your allergies. And it's like, I know it's a little chilly and you know I didn't want to bring up any bad resonant memories or anything. But anyway, how are you doing?
1: I am doing pretty good surviving out here.
0: <laughs> oh, that's good. That's great. Okay, well, I will make an adjustment as we go because I know you're kicking me under the table here and I hear you loud and clear, but we're going to try to keep going, okay? All right, you have this interest in this topic. What is it that brought you to this topic? Can you talk to us about this uh, topic of school-based mental health services? Because I believe it is of supreme importance. And how did we arrive at this topic of focusing on the BIPOC population? Can you talk to us about that a little bit?
1: Okay, well, let me start off with just explaining what, BIPOC means so BIPOC is black indigenous and people of color covering covering all black and brown communities Um, when we talk about school-based mental health services my experience I worked as a licensed marriage family therapist in different school settings from um, higher class to lower class and what I see is that um, and still currently is when it comes to school-based mental health services there really isn't school-based mental health services. What we're seeing is that there's like nonprofit agencies that are providing services to students in the school. I wanna emphasize that because um, just even with my, my topic on this, I've been getting receiving feedback, but there are school-based mental health services. And reality is there's agencies that are just going into the school settings and they provide, um, they go do their 30, 45 minute session and they leave. Um, Also, we look at like school sites, DJ Rome, (laughs) we look at school school psychologists and even school counselors. So I have my um, PPS credential in school counseling as well. Um, They're not in the school settings to provide mental health services. So school sites usually fall under the realm of special education. So they're doing testing, assessing and things like that. And then we get the school, um, the school counselor, they're for academia. So Mm. there's no one actually designated at a school site strictly to provide mental health services, individual group counseling and so forth. You hear like some schools implement group therapy and so so forth, but we, there's not a designated social worker therapist or anything like that. Just strictly just doing individual therapy. That's, that's available to all students. Correct. You know, that's our own short state place. So that's, that's kind of where my focus is um, and it's specifically for BIPOC because history repeats itself. Mm. Um, there's still a lack of, you know, history repeats itself, accessibility. Um, we still continue to see just people of color and the accessing mental health services.
0: Mm. Yeah, I was about to ask you what are one or two things that keep coming up constantly? Is it the issue of access?
1: I think that the, you're taking the issue of access, but here's the other issue is that um, students of color continue. And this is not just based on um, my personal experience working in a certain school district, but also research still continues to re- repeat itself. There are students of color tend to be treated differently than their white counterparts. So what I often see, and I can speak exactly an example, a couple of years ago, working at a school site, and why all of the kids that were in trouble in the classroom and um, in the office were all people of color. Mm. Seeing a, a person that's not a person of color and made threats just some other behavioral issues. And they were given a snack and sent back to the classroom. <laughs> and I addressed that issue with the principal. Yeah. We had a huge discussion. It opened up a lot of things. So um, you see that they're more um, penalized. They receive more uh, punishment. Consequences like whether that's in school or out of school suspension versus like let's assess and see what's going on. What happened before they came to school today? What mm. happened in class? What did what may have? Because teacher have teachers have their own um, biases. Did did they say something that triggered this kid? Mm. You know, just a brief check and can a can, uh, check in with the kid, uh, student in the morning can just set a whole different tone. You don't know. You know, a lot of these kids, especially when they look at marginalized communities, just get just getting making it to school campus can be just a long day in itself. If they're waking up, they haven't eaten. If something happened, we're facing deportation. Yep. Um, parents struggling with unemployment and so forth.
0: They deal with a lot just to walk through those doors, right? Or those gates, mm-hmm. I should say. They do mm-hmm. a whole lot. So when you have partnered, I'm gonna throw you a curveball a little bit. When you've experienced providing services to those populations when there are always, well, I won't say always, because in charter school systems, they they kind of have people wearing multiple hats. But generally speaking, in Correct. the school comprehensive unified school district system, there is mm-hmm. a school psychologist there. There are uh, credentialed school counselors there. There may even be mm-hmm. what they call wellness counselors who
1: mm-hmm. may
0: mm-hmm. be social workers or marriage and family therapists. And I noticed that there tends to be Uh, divide between where they're providing the respective specialists for example in northern california i noticed they put lmfts or licensed marriage and family therapists more at Mm -hmm. the lower levels and they put the social workers at the upper elementary and high school middle school and high school i don't have a good answer for that maybe you do but have you noticed anything similar to that where you are
1: with my um experience in the school setting I in that but just generally speaking when I think of that I'm I'm sure it has a lot to do with like with social workers I think you know here we go all of us can do the same services it's just the really the title to it you got LMFT you got lCSW but I think when people look at like social work perspective and you're saying um like in high you see them more in higher education and I'm gonna assume because of the case management because social that everything like you know they're doing the, they provide the resources and so forth like that so i'm assuming um not the LMTs can't do that because i've done that as well um mm-hmm. i'm gonna assume that's why there's a focus on that because they're looking at the, the broader um more i guess you could say mm-hmm. i will to say macro but if you were to break it down like that um yeah. the macro part you know the family and so forth where, therapy we do that too um, but we are specifically focused on the individual I am all about it takes a village <laughs> so you know yeah. I incorporate the family parenting Um, you know even the school-based pilot program I started we incorporated um, where we had a case manager partner and we also offer like TBS services too.
0: Mm-hmm. Tell us what TBS is.
1: Therapeutic behavioral services so often um, and am in school district my experience again based on the school district I worked for, it's sometimes hard for school districts to actually get a behavioral specialist. Um, and that could be whether it's the money piece or whatever the, you know, whatever the reason is. Um, but because I work for a nonprofit agency and we started a um, school-based pilot program I was able to go through our agency so it didn't cost the district any anything so um, mm-hmm. this would be a student that's had behavioral issues instead of hey we want to suspend this kid let's get to know what's really going on what is the family like what's what are some behavioral issues in the classroom what are we seeing during break and what are we seeing at home so a therapeutic behavioral specialist is someone who comes in they don't only just come in in the classroom they also go to the homes and the benefit of them they get to they teach not only the student um, healthier coping skills or communication skills, they also get to observe the teacher interactions, they get to, the teach child um, student interaction with the teacher as well as what's going on, the relationships at home. So they can teach parents how to better um, respond to these kids, you know, what are healthier consequences. And so it's, it, it, it's really good because you see, and we track it like with using a chart, so you get to see the progress over the, over the course of treatment, mm-hmm. and they actually graduate from this program. So it's not like something that just continues for a year. You know, we kind of you're, you're set in stone with a certain amount of um, services, and then you know they can graduate from this program.
0: So it sounds pretty comprehensive because you're you mentioned some really really uh, there's a lot of nectar in what you just said there because the mental health community as a whole is charged with trying to address these issues for this population that mm-hmm. you're talking about. How well do you think that we're doing as a whole? Are LMFTs working peacefully, <laughs> <cohabitively, laughs> and uh, amicably with school psychologists and social workers? And then you threw in behaviorists. And from what I know, a behaviorist is neither an LCSW necessarily, an LMFT or a psychologist. They're a behaviorist so exactly that's Mm -hmm. an entire village right there that you're talking about how well do you feel like the mental health community as a whole is are addressing these issues
1: i think we touch i think overall we we think we're addressing (laughs) these issues (laughs) okay (laughs) (laughs) emphasize that i think i you know i really you know i really think that people get into this field and um I think as a community in the mental health department, we are working towards um, addressing these issues. However, I think sometimes, again, based on my experience in school settings and also for, <clears throat> excuse me, for the nonprofit agencies, what often tends to happen is that that barrier, that lack of communication. Um, I've seen it where, oh, because Patrice, you're, you're LMFT, you brought your whole team. You, you're your therapist on campus. Everyone's going to you. So it's more, I, I witness school counselors become more lax. Um, school okay. psychologists, I, I I understand, like, with school psychologists, because they have, um, you know, especially when you come to assessing IEPs and stuff like, and, you know, issues with that, there's a time frame. So it takes a little longer, you mm-hmm. know. So I think individually, you um, we were to communicate a little more, understanding our roles and working together. This can be awesome. Like we can yeah. really, really get to that. So, well, <laughs> uh, <laughs> well,
0: well, well I, the way I interpret what she just said, ladies and gentlemen, it's like it's, it's a good try, but there's a lot of room for improvement. You know what I'm saying? I mean, Correct. we are trying. Mm-hmm. We, we're definitely trying because there's a best practices model out there called MTSS, multiple tier systems of support. Mm-hmm. And yeah. there are teams that meet weekly or bi-weekly or bi-monthly as much as they can uh, to address these issues in sort of a comprehensive wraparound sort of fashion. So uh, this is some good stuff. I, you know, I actually love this stuff. That's what Psychotic Bump Schools are really all about, is just bringing all these disparate specialists together to talk about how they see the same case. I mean, you remember the TV show uh, House? We used to come on Monday night. Yes, that, uh, I loved Spencer House.
1: <laughs> but, that show was right wasn't that the show? That yes. was the
0: show. They'd have all these yes. doctors in one room trying to figure out one case. And I'm like, everybody has some dope input. Everybody's input was right. solid and on point. Exactly. And it was uh, it was valued. And then House was, he was just mm-hmm. a nut and he was just, you know, just gifted above everybody else. But everybody's input mm-hmm. is so fascinating, right?
1: Yeah. Everyone's input mattered. And you know, so everyone and everyone listened to each other. Okay, hey, I hear what you're saying, and that's what we need to do. As Absolutely.
0: well. Absolutely. So I want to wish you continued success with this, but uh, is there anything else you could add to us? Is there something we could better understand about this population and this group you're studying? Are there some things getting in the way of society having a more sensitivity toward the needs of BIPOC adolescents and their mental health services? Uh, can you enlighten us on a little of that before we let you go? Yes, I think
1: just if we look at post the increase the suicide rates for african-american and people mm. of color have increased drastically. like um and what's interesting is in doing my research i'm seeing that there are you know different organizations have so much money for mental health services in the schools however there is a decrease in mental health staff so mm. i i as i continue the research you know Assessing and wondering why this is happening. Um, implicit bias, I can't let that, I mean, this starts from just mental health in general. Um, you know, therapists, social worker, school sites also have to be aware of their own biases and how that can affect the treatment for BIPOC adolescents. My bigger, my, in addition to that, there is a huge gap in barrier with family community, family and guardians, make, make sure I, parent and guardian communication with school they do not feel accepted um, they feel like they're prejudged they're only getting phone calls when their kids are are behaving so there's a gap between the communication with school with school staff educators administrators and with their families and we need to bridge that gap also with teachers they're highly stressed because they're having difficulty with classroom you know managing behavioral issues you know, in the classroom. And so um, there's always an underlying issue when you think of BIPOC you know, we're talking about, like I said, there's an increase of suicide rate and depression and anxiety amongst people of color. Um, I would love for educators, social workers, you know, mental health department in general that work with this population to understand when it comes to adolescence and you see depression is look like it looks disruptive. It looks like the anger easily trigger lack of motivation. That's what we see in adolescents. And I think that's where it's like, oh, no, conduct disorder, oppositional defining disorder. And that's not um, it's more of getting to know, just get to know your students. Uh, right. what they like, I'm a music person. So these kids come and introduce me to different artists. Not that I care for a lot of some of their artists, but <laughs> but mm-hmm. I listen to it to get an understanding of why is this song so relatable to your life? And just that in general, DJ Rum. what I've learned is that the kids are more open, they feel they, relaxed, they feel seen by just getting to know them individually and not putting them in a category.
0: back kcwg the truth.com this program is called psychotic bum school my name is dj rome and ladies and gentlemen we are continuing our focus on the needs of the african-american community the Communities of color, all communities, really, but we are having sort of a targeted focus with our most recent conversations, and we've had a series of social workers coming through to share some of the hottest topics going on in the profession right now, and we're going to continue that series right now with our next guest, who's a social worker in Southern California, and we're going to be talking about Black men and uh, their, their preparedness for college, higher learning. Oh, man, one of my favorite topics. So, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good brother, Mr. Daniel
3: Lawrence. Mr. Lawrence, how you doing, good brother? I'm good. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, man, it is cool and the gang to have you here. Now, what in the world brings you to this topic, man? Because higher learning is obviously something you're an advocate of, as I am too. So uh, what specifically brought you to this topic? Can you talk to us about that a little bit?
3: Well, you know, so you can't see this but the obvious is that i'm a black man i've attended college i had a lot of the disconnects that the students or the population i work with have had so that was the first part yep then as i became a practitioner i actually saw the things that were helping the the students to to remain disconnected and i just thought something's got to be done about this and so Mm. here i am
0: yeah well i'm glad you're here man so Uh, What have you discovered just in your own anecdotal experiences? What are some of the common things that are going on, maybe one or two, maybe three pressing needs that uh, you see and have observed and experienced that society at large may not know about? What are a few things that are really standing out for you right now that concerns this population?
3: There are certain programs or, or, or styles of teaching that don't often align well with the black male mm. sometimes we need to be able to have access to tutoring or a writing center yes you know some of us come from low income of families and we need to be able to have or or maybe we didn't get the resources in our k-12 setting and we need to be able to have access to those things and then the last piece is that there needs to be more cultural competence mm. Individuals, you know, are not aware of the things that are coming out of their mouths and they're insulting the individuals from the start. And that one insult is the catalyst to keep that individual out of that graduation uh, outfit, yeah, out of their regalia. Mm.
0: And I'm sure. Don't... Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I was just going to say, I'm sure they would call that an unintended consequence. Of... Correct but but due to that lack of cultural sensitivity those things are more prone to happen right
3: correct correct
0: yeah i tell you man i mean if we just zone in on this i mean we we, we're gonna get to something right here because what do you see in terms of the the research that you're doing now just general uh enrollment right now because we know uh still white women are the most graduated persons people or group in this country where black women are the most enrolled brothers for the most part they find their way into the middle class by other means and so yes. when you talk about the the writing centers the tutorial support and even prior to leaving the k through 12 uh meal you if you will i didn't see me i mean, maybe you did i'm from la too but i'm not right. in L now but i didn't see a lot of black male teachers and I think that the students as children tend to mimic and emulate the people that role model for them. So how would you say the uh, role modeling in the K through 12 system has contributed to this issue?
3: Well, just just your point that you alluded to, the lack of seeing individuals who look like us, males particularly.
2: Males. Lack
3: of seeing them in the classroom as their, their instructors definitely changes Helps, I should say, contribute to the trajectory of, of the success. You mm-hmm. know, we need to be able to see that there's someone who looks like us and doing things that we want to do, or in the field mm-hmm. or in the way that we want to want to do things. And I mean, not to say that a lot of us have uh, there haven't been any individuals who have um, overcome or haven't accomplished goals in that way without those exa- those examples. Right. But definitely, the lack of presence makes
0: the journey a little bit harder sure does sure does and people don't want to talk about that i'm not saying you but just people in general maybe it's not that they don't want to talk about it they don't seem to have an awareness of it because we've accepted it as such a norm it's like women correct and kids go to school but those kids are girls and boys and if it's not an even balance of adult role models who look like the guys then of course the girls are going to be more inspired to emulate those higher educated, uh, gender based people who are guiding them, which are the women. Mm-hmm. And so, like I said, men find their way into the middle class via, uh, well, I didn't say it, but military, of course, going to church. There's right. a lot of connections that come through that and pledging sororities right. and all that. Um, uh, they, they learn a trade, but when it comes to just purely just sitting in a classroom absorbing um, lectures and being able to take notes and just understanding what men do how a man handles yes. that experience yes it's a little different isn't it i mean we think it's, we... it's,
3: it's, it's totally different and then even a man so a, a, a man coming into the classroom setting not knowing what they're getting into you know the counterparts have been groomed. most of them have been groomed for, for this you know they know what it means to sit into a room for 30 45 or maybe uh, two hours worth of a class time and taking notes hmm we're not always brought into the classroom with that background knowledge
0: no
3: we're told to get that degree but we're not told what it takes to get it we're not seeing always seeing what it takes to get it I mean and so to have someone who has accomplished this goal and to be able to pour into the individual who is trying to get that accomplishment you know to try to get that piece it makes a total difference
0: i mean mentorship right they have baked the built-in mentorship yes. <laughs> on steroids i'm talking about little girls having female teachers and i i know i'm probably sounding like a broken record but I, I think this uh, a <laughs> very overlooked issue that we we we're at a deficit in that area and we've had to overcompensate it for i mean For generations we've had to just deal with it and now look around you i mean my profession in in psychology man how what percentage of black men are psychologists what percentage of black men are social workers if you talk about what percentage are just african-american that's dismal right there but when you break it down by gender how many brothers are doing what you do bro right (laughs) What are your thoughts before you go about the viability and richness of a potential HBCU education as opposed to one at a PWI?
3: Damn. <laughs> very, very, very uh, good question. You know, like like we both have said that we both went to a PWI or actually my institution is now a Hispanic serving institution. But when I was there, right. Was a CWI, and in those days, I had to find spaces to nurture my my, my 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 goal, to nurture nurture my process. folks yes. who understood what I was going through, mm-hmm. that's the kind of experience I have had with going to PWI. Yeah, and even in working in a PWI, uh, my black males, we had to actually create a program mm-hmm. to help support individuals because there were needs that individuals didn't even think about or know about and had no way to even approach it.
0: Come on.
3: My my, my my fellow colleagues who were at P, uh, at um, black institutions or, or, or historically black institutions as I might as say mm-hmm. those folks I feel like they had not only the understanding of their field but mm-hmm. they had a sense of self-worth mm-hmm. that I didn't come up with I feel like I had once I graduated I had to give myself a pep talk and get out The whole idea of, of the whole um, I can't even think of the syndrome but, but basically I had to remind Myself that I can do what I set out to do uh, would that The be... imposter syndrome
0: Yeah man I, I, I,
3: I had to do my own little therapy session on that For yep. a little while to remind myself That I have the tools to do it mm-hmm. But I felt like my folks who came From those The, the historically black Institutions they had that already Yes, it was. It was built into their their class settings.
0: I would now, have to. They agree. got ready to talk yeah. about
3: their their subject matter. They also talked about examples. Mm. You know, they got a chance to talk about lengths Hughes They got a chance to talk about mm-hmm. uh, Martin Luther King and et cetera, the individuals who actually have been in the same spaces that they are. Mm-hmm. and mm. those examples, I know for them, but definitely for me, resonate with me.
0: There you go. There you go. Well, I'd love to have you back. Sometimes I know you're doing some uh, in-depth work in this area, because I tell you, man, um, one of the things, uh, and we'll, we'll have to have this conversation another time. Um, I don't, I don't regret, and as I'm sure you don't either. I don't regret my uh, college education, but no. when I went in, no. they all they told me back then, and I don't know if you can relate to this, but all they told me back then was just, just get a degree in anything, and you can get onto the workforce. Right. They'll, they'll train you. Right. All they want to do is see that you can make a commitment to something and finish it, and then they'll do right. the rest. Don't worry about it. Man, that did Incorrect. not have right. to be true. <laughs> right.
3: Not to mention, they say these degrees are just going to kind of get you the job. No, yes. That either missed. <laughs>
0: missed. Bruh. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time and it repeats again on Friday evenings from 6.30 p.m. to 8 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us, we shall return next week. Also wanna thank our very, very special guests for the evening, Daniel Lawrence, Patrice Scott, and of course the good brother, Mr. Gary Phillips. Also wanna send a very, very special shout out to Mr. Frank
1: Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here y'all, take care.